Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And in this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I sat down with Nikhil Paul. For those that may not know him, Nikhil is a leadership coach who founded We Are Human to help senior executives and their teams strengthen their focus, culture, and execution through engaging workshops and coaching programs. Today on the podcast, Nikhil and I are going to be talking about how you can set up your team for success in 2022. everyone, it's Jen DeWall. And on this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I'm sitting down with leadership coach, Nikhil Paul. Whoa, coast, coach. That's what we're talking about. We're here to talk about leadership. So, <laughs> hey, you know, I, I always like leaving in a little bit of the flubs because that's yeah. reality. Yeah. I wish I could do everything perfect all the time, but that is just yeah. not a realistic expectation. But I love that because I know that when we're talking about mistakes, when we're talking about flubs, that also is the role of a leader in talking about team success, which is what there we're going to be go. talking about today. So, Mikhail, while while we're starting out, like, could you just go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell us your story. How did you come to be? How did you start to find or how did you found We Are Human? I want to hear it all. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And as a leadership team coach. Uh, I am. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, uh, I, um, yeah, no, thank you so much, Jen, for having me. Uh, you know, the, my journey into becoming who I am today, um, it's like everybody else, right? It's like, it's meandering, it's twists and turns, it's ups and downs, highs and lows. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm actually an immigrant. So one of the things I kind of take when I come into this, any situation or any, uh, of environment, I always I'm grateful for being where I am. Uh, it wouldn't have been possible if I did wasn't able to come to this country and learn and see and kind of get recognized for some of my skill sets. And very on in high school, that was one of my skill sets that people were like, "Oh, you're so good at is public speaking." And so that is the common vein in a lot of my um, my career is that I kept pushing into talking in front of large groups. Um, trying to like MC events and like lead workshops. And so I started out as a startup uh, founder and I built actually an employee engagement software company a couple of years out of college. And with that startup, I learned a lot about the culture problems and the motivation challenges that big companies are having with their employees. And I also, you know, got to work, interact and see it from uh, behind the scenes as well. Um, after a bunch of years of doing that, I kind of, sh- you know, sh- had to shut that down and I kept moving on. I, I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, I really did enjoy culture. I really did love motivating people, especially with my team and with the employees who were using our software. Um, but I was like, okay, fine. My next iteration of my entrepreneurship journey, how do I kind of do this again? What should I do? And that's where I uh, leaned into my skill set of being in front of a group of people, um, being able to like host an MC and narrate. And I love it. I love being with people. And so that's the genesis of We Are Human. When I came up with this idea for the second iteration of my career and this entrepreneurial journey, I was like, I want to, I don't know exactly what I want to do, but I know that I want to do something that taps into something that's deeply meaningful. And that's something we all share and our shared humanity. Um, And We Are Human is kind of born from that, this idea of kind of connecting with people on our most root, uh, vulnerable level uh, as we try to get better, learn, laugh, love more. Um, And so as part of this journey, I uh, work with teams, I work with companies, I work with communities. And what I found that I really loved uh, the most was working with like 
uh, passionate people working on moonshot projects. I, I just realized I absolutely loved it. Um, people are committed and trying to make something happen for the better of their company or their customers or their community. I really was attracted to it. And that's how I fell into the world of leadership team coaching. And so that's what brings me here today. You know, the name We Are Human, I love that because you talked about it. It hits the most, it hits our vulnerable level, the place of who <laughs> we are as individuals, not just the title that we might show up and come and punch the clock with. <laughs> you know, I, and I'm curious what your thoughts are, because I don't know if 10, 15 years ago, if the name We Are Human would have been as meaningful, because I still mm. think there was this old notion of Hey, these are people, they should be happy to have a job. What do you yeah. mean? Notions don't exist at work. I don't care that they're a human being. Yeah. I'm curious if you feel like there's a change where people are starting to really engage in the notion of seeing the whole person. Because I think that that's, I love your business name because I I, I just, we are all human. We are trying to do that. Yeah. But I'm curious yeah. what your thoughts are and whether or not you've seen a change through culture is starting to be more, you know, really inclusive in that regard of seeing that whole person. Yeah, 100%, right? And it's kind of like these tectonic shifts in generations and culture. Um, because when we, our grandparents were in the workforce, it was all about just make sure you have a, a nine to five. It's a lifetime commitment. That's your identity. You know, don't complain and work hard, right? And then by the time our parents' generation came in, the focus was a lot more on making money and getting bonuses and right, really kind of focusing on the wealth and the amalgamation of it. Um, I think by the time the millennials and my generation is coming, it's about trying to find meaning in our work, right? And trying to imbue it with uh, a sense of purpose. Um, and so I'm definitely seeing that. Like, it's kind of awesome to see kind of some of my classmates and people that are within my generation really think about, okay, how do I connect to this company? Or what, what does this product mean to me? And I think that's the step in the right direction because we spend literally one third of our lives working. And of course, look, we're not always going to be working at our dream jobs. And sometimes we have to do things just to pay the bills. But if you're not able to find a way to kind of transform your work into something a little bit more special, a little bit more magical, then you're kind of missing out on the secret of life. You have to find a way to enjoy the dreary, the dull, um, because there's there's always a beauty in the corners and the small things you don't see. And I, and I love that idea of trying to... In, um, kind of empower the work that we do, even if it's not the most like amazing, inspiring, exciting, because not all of us get that lucky to work on our dream careers. You have to find a way to um, find the beauty in it. And so that that's, I definitely agree. Yeah. I like that you bring that up because I think, you know, lately I see a lot of people, <clears throat> Hey, let's, let's help you find your dream career. Let's help you find this. And I used to really buy into the fact that you can have a fully dream career and you can't, mm. I love what I do. I love what I do, but here's the truth about it. I still have things I don't like to do 100%. So within that dream career. There are still things that we don't like. I don't love 100% of the things that I do because exactly. you know what? Some things are outside of my strengths, outside of my interests. And so I'm just going to plant the seed that for whoever might be feeling like I'm not in my dream job because I hate X. That's okay. A dream yeah. job is learning how to find what you said. It, and I forget exactly how you said it, the beauty in the corner, you yeah. know, looking within and finding that it doesn't have to be 100% perfect all the time because that's not the reality of life ever. So how can yeah. we even have that expectation? Yeah, hundred percent. It's <laughs> honestly, no one's ever going to find a dream job. And I think people have the same thing with like titles and outcomes, like the money we make or the titles that we gain. It's like, nothing is going to make us fully that happy. Right. Because the moment you achieve it or you get something, 
or you're in your dream career. Then there's just the work. Like after like the high wears off, like the dopamine goes away, then it's just the doing of being and actually being present in your life. And whatever that is, like maybe, you know, for me, I love being in front of, like I said, a team of people. And those moments to me, I'm like the happiest and the highest. But if all I had was that all the time, I would never really appreciate that. I would get used to it. I would just be like, okay, whatever, right? But if you go through the dreary and the boring and the darker times of life and you struggle through it well, then by the time you come back again to what you love or that what you're finding that you're most joy in, then you're going to really appreciate it. So you need both. You can't just be in this la-la land where every moment of your life or your work, even if it's your dream career, is this blissful thing. It's impossible. The brain doesn't work like that. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, and no one is living 100% of the time loving all the things despite no. what you see on social media. So remember that. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about how to set up your team for success in 2022. It's I think it's probably a question that a lot of leaders have right now. Mm-hmm. What do we want to accomplish? What do we want this year to look like? I'm sure there's still maybe a lot of leaders that are doing triage right now where people are mm-hmm. out sick or they have vacancies as a result of that big quit. So I'm, I know that a lot of people are going to appreciate this situation or excuse me, this conversation, because we're going to give you tips on what you can do, or I should say, we're, <laughs> you're going to give them tips. <laughs> so let's start out. Like, where do you even begin when you think about how do you set up your team for success in 2022? If you were putting yourself into the shoes of that leader, where would you say to start? Yeah, that's a great question. I, so the, the, the short answer is it's, it's purpose. Right? So it goes back to that thing we were talking about with um, meaning, right? I think, as you can see with the great uh, resignation that's happening, people have realized, look, I don't have to work at this job if it's going to make me miserable. Like, I can figure out other ways to live. And, and it's this whole new awakening. And so if you're an employer or you're a leader of a team and you're trying to motivate and get people together, try to figure out the great purpose of your work. And I know that sounds a bit far-fetched for people are doing kind of like, you know, basic uh, software or like boring products that maybe people are not as excited by, but there's always some beautiful purpose there. And it's your job as a leader to find it. And I'll, I'll give you a quick example. Like Bill George um, was the CEO of Medtronic and Medtronic was a medical device company. And, you know, again, medical devices, maybe not the most like, oh my God, amazing. But he was really passionate about it. And he would constantly go about visiting uh, people, the employees, factory workers, the doctors and the patients. And one day, uh, a doctor literally was so angry at him. And uh, he threw a mouth, he showed a malfunctioning uh, pacemaker that their company had made. And he threw it at him and said, look at what you're doing. This is messing up. This is killing my patients and you have to fix this. And so Bill was very like, he was just, he like that was a fire under his butt. Like he was like, okay, I need to figure this out. So he basically, from that day on, he would start bringing in patients into the factory floor um, of his company, of the pacemaker um, uh, making shop. And he would bring them through and he would have these patients talk about um, their experiences and how life-saving, literally life-saving these pacemakers were. And it would be these really meaningful stories. And by the end of it, like the people on the factory floor were crying because of how meaningful and how touched they were by their stories. From that day onward, do you think any worker would allow uh, a pacemaker to leave that factory uh, that is malfunctioning? No. No. Right? Because they feel a sense of deep 
purpose. They're connected to a greater mission. And it's a real mission. It's not just some fluffy, we're doing this to gain market share, or we're doing this because you know we're, we need to be innovative. It's something real. They're touching people's lives. And so that's the first thing I always think about. Any team that's coming in, try to find a real human story that connects to why you all are working on what you're working on. I think that's so important. I think there's companies that sometimes think by having that mission statement, maybe having that overall organizational objective, that that's enough. And to some extent, <laughs> in the example of Medtronic, absolutely, you could probably clearly see how you're helping to the quality of life of others. That's right. That's right. But, and there's something I noticed in some of the coaching conversations I've had this week, it, which is how do you instill purpose? Well, they don't care, right? right? And this example is one where I know that it's the start of the year. A lot of companies might be thinking about how can I make my workforce healthier? So I'm going to set up incentives mm-hmm. and because they know at the end of the day, it will save the company money. Mm-hmm. Great. That's yeah. not enough of a purpose for that person yeah. to want to do that. So where do you think people get it wrong when they're trying to bring out that purpose from people? Yeah, that, that's a great question because you see this all the time in companies, right? Like the company will have a mission or if you go to their offices, they'll be like, these are the things we're trying to do. And I think, again, it's all great efforts. It's all people trying to take steps in the right direction. What they kind of lose sight of is making it grounded, making it real and connecting to why those people are there to begin with, right? If I'm working at a company and I'm a leader at that company, there's a there's a value connection there. There's a reason I want to help people who are suffering medically. Maybe I have a, a father who has a medical condition, right? So, so part of the thing is you, ha- as a leader, you have to figure out a way to connect it to something real, right? And, and um, so the way to kind of do it is to think about a superordinate goal. Imagine if there was, um, like, I love uh, Marvel, uh, the, you know, the Avenger series and, and Thanos is kind of what I consider a superordinate villain. Right. He's the villain that brings together all the superheroes that they come together. So even though they're all clashing personalities and they don't necessarily work together in the beginning, by having this overwhelming, like, oh, my God, this big kind of subordinate problem in front of them, they band together. So similarly, as a leader, you need to figure out what is the subordinate goal that's going to bring my group together. And that's the first part of it. It has to, that's how you deeply motivate people first and foremost, by connecting it to something that brings them together. Secondly, it also has to be a sense of focus. The other thing is why people get demotivated and they're not as, you know, following through on their mission or whatever their purpose is, is because they're not able to make uh, real choices with their mission. Right. Sometimes it gets a little too hazy. It gets a little too up in the air. So part of a leader's job is to be clear about what we're focusing on with this mission, with this larger team purpose. And even more importantly, what are we not? What are things we're saying no to? If you can give that clarity to your teammates, then you're empowering. Now they know, oh, this is how I can act in my purpose. This is how we actually get to make this purpose come real. Um, and so that's the other part I always think about it. So it's not only the motivation, finding that big subordinate goal that's motivating them and rallying them, but it's also, it's like this decision-making kind of um, uh, touch point that helps them individually or together make decisions on this is what we're definitely going to do. And this is definitely what we're not going to do. A decision-making touch point. It's so important. I, I mean, maybe I'm speaking, you know, for someone else here, or maybe I'm speaking <laughs> from my past experience, but maybe someone can relate. One of my biggest struggles, or I would call it my own personal, like pet peeves at work is feeling like, 
you know, me as an individual, I want to do so well at my job. That's very important to me. I, you know, I, that's, it's just, I take a lot of pride in my work. And what makes it challenging is when I do feel like there's competing priorities Mm -hmm. and hey, we want you to do this. This is our next (laughs) initiative and this one and this one. No, we're not going to prioritize them. They're all of equal importance, which then, (laughs) you know, triggers that. Oh my gosh, how am I even, there's not enough hours in the day. And then also it creates ambiguity of where do I even start and how do I measure myself or should I just make sure I'm doing enough just to, you know, move a little bit. And so I appreciate that you talk about the focus because it really is a pain point for me. I struggle a lot when there's so many competing initiatives being pushed down on me (laughs) because I just want to say, how are you actually going to measure this? If you just think we can do every single thing. And I love that you called it that decision touch point. If you just focus. You give people permission to also focus, but if you're not focused, you're just creating more chaos for the people that report to you or the people that are likely like me, want to do a good job, want to do what you need them to do, want to help the organization succeed, but you're doing them a disservice by having too much. Exactly right. And as a result of that, you know, you're demotivating them. So, you know, if everything is a priority, nothing is a priority. You know what I mean? And and that's exactly what you just pointed out. Like, this is one of the biggest things I see teams do all the time. It's like, well, we got to do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this. And ultimately, they're not really moving the ball forward that much of what they should be doing uh, to achieve their purpose, right? Or or they're basically every idea that comes out, they're like, this is the next big thing. Like, it, it's a shiny object syndrome where they're like, oh, my God, this is going to change it. And so before you know it, every three to four weeks, you're jumping from one idea to another. And so these are biases, these are cognitive kind of like, uh, uh, you know, inclinations that we all have. So we have to be mindful of that. And that's why the purpose is a really good point is kind of use this as like that, again, that decision touchstone and say, okay, what are we definitely going to say yes to? And what are things we're definitely going to say no to so that our people don't feel demotivated after a while, they'll just check out if we don't get this right. Yeah, which right now, again, they're aware of their options and there's a lot of vacancies that they can go to. And this is one small thing. You're just saying, by the way, this is more important than this when I'm handing this down. And it's just so interesting that it is such a, it's, you know, two sentences that you can say that I feel like go a long way. Crosscom is a global organization dedicated to developing effective leaders. Companies all over the world have seen their managers transformed into leaders through our award-winning and accredited leadership development programs. Our signature BPM program provides interactive management training with a results-oriented curriculum and prime networking opportunities. If you're interested in learning more about our flagship program and developing your managers into leaders, please visit our website to find a leadership trainer near you. Or maybe you yourself have always wanted to train and develop others. Crestcom is a global franchise with ownership opportunities available throughout the world. If you have ever thought about being your own boss, owning your own business, and leveraging your leadership experience to impact businesses and leaders in your community, Crestcom may be the right fit for you. We're looking for professional executives who are looking for a change and want to make a difference in people's lives. Learn more about our franchise opportunity on the Own a Franchise page of our website at crestcom.com. So we're starting with how do you set your team up for success in 2022? It starts with setting up that purpose, you'd said, and then making sure that it's a purpose that brings people together. And then, of course, that it's focused, that That's you're right. not spreading your purpose around on all these things that 
you're not actually going to yield any final or I guess anything that's going to move the mark. Where do you go after you have that purpose defined? Yeah. So once you have the purpose and people feel very motivated and they have a clear sense of what they need to do, the next thing is you need to work on your, what I like to call your culture covenant, right? Because when you have a group of people that are working in a high performance team, they have to have trust because if you don't have trust with each other, uh, you can't do much. Um, and that's, you know, it's at, uh, the core basis of trust and how you as a leader know if you have trust is you can create an environment of safety. And this is something Google has done studies on and finding about the trade of the most powerful teams that they have in their company is this feeling of psychological safety. So as a leader, that's what you have to focus on because trust sometimes is like a little hard to, you know, do I trust this person? Okay. I don't know what that means. Maybe I do. I don't, but like safety is very clear. You either feel safe with a group of people or you don't feel safe. It's binary. And so as a leader, that's the first thing you want to work on. You want to create that foundation of safety so that then you can, people start building trust with each other. And once it's trust, then they start actually um, debating and arguing and having constructive conflict, which is the next step you want to build on top of that. And so that's the that's the real crux here. You want to get the team to get into a good place of having very strong, vigorous, real debates and have rules around how to have those debates, um, how to make those decisions, right? Those are the two um, cultural touch points you want to then bring into the team. How are we working together? And what are the what are the culture covenants we should focus on? I love that you bring up psychological safety, as I still think this is, I'm just gonna call it um a, how do I describe it? In some circles and some conversations, I think there's a lot of people that are in agreement that psychological safety, you know, we've seen those those studies by Google, by Microsoft, by a lot of different people. And but yet I'm still meeting people that I think are like, what the heck? What do you mean? Mm. Why? Mm. Like, that doesn't make sense. And so mm. I think it's interesting. I know it sits a lot with diversity, equity, and inclusion, but if you would just say what psychological safety is in the easiest way, because I did, I feel it is just feeling like I am going to be accepted at work, that I yeah. am not going to ha- be retaliated against, that people are going to have transparent conversations. Um, I'm not sure how you see that, but I guess my question that I'm getting to is, why do you think that people still maybe are reluctant to take that and say, psychological safety? What? <laughs> like, why are we talking about this again? We're going down that avenue of emotions. Why are we psychological safety? Yes, yeah, safety, I get it. But psychological safety, what? Where do you yeah, think that's... people are still resistant to that? Yeah, I think people are resistant to that maybe is because <clears throat> it feels like this should, should be something we're already doing. It's kind of like, hey, we're already working together. We're, we're professionals in a working environment. We don't need to make this more complex than it needs to be. Um, but the truth is, it's this is like this is like a relationship you're in, right? If you have a partner, you can't just go on stasis. Like it doesn't like a relationship where you guys take each other for granted and just do the same old things. That relationship is slowly wearing itself down, right? You have to be mindful. You have to invest. That's the same thing with trust and psychological safety. So like with trust, you have to make sure you're being intentional about it because if left to our own devices, we start becoming very protective. We become more silo. We become more about ourselves. And so that's why you need to bring that about. I think a lot of leaders are like, no, we got it. We already have safety. We already have trust. We already have, I don't need to kind of get into this weeds again. But 
It's not about getting into the weeds again. It's about working on your fundamentals. No matter what, you still have to work on your fundamentals and check in with the team to make sure that this fabric that on which trust is built is not frayed. And so psychological safety, to me, the basic question that you can ask is, do you have my back, right? Do you have my back when I offer an idea that might sound silly? Do you have my back when I criticize you in front of others and say, hey, maybe that wasn't the right thing to do? Do you have my back when <clears throat> I... I mess up, right? So that's the point here. If you don't have that, people don't take chances. People are not real. People are not bold. And that's when your team starts getting more sluggish and they start becoming more, uh, less high-performing. They start going backwards. Yeah. And that's the point. Yeah. And that's very valuable. I think about, you know, all the examples that you just shared. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people right now that might be feeling I have these vacancies to make up and everyone just wants money. And I would actually argue that I would rather have a place where I feel supported than make 20,000, 10,000, whatever that number is more per year, because I want to make sure that I feel safe and supported because it alleviates stress for me. I feel confident. I feel like I can contribute in a greater way. So for those that maybe are still thinking that, oh my gosh, this is annoying. Why do I have to do this? Right. You're just, again, like slowing down to speed up. You can make people and create that right environment for them to thrive. And then maybe those other things aren't that big of an issue. And I had this conversation recently, like once those scales tip, that's when, if I'm not feeling supported, well, then you better believe I'm going to want more money because I'm going right. to, you know, have less, power, right. less, I guess, tolerance for if you're not going to treat me like a person and make sure that I'm safe at work, well then, okay make sure that you pay me what I deserve. I feel like I'm able to make make concessions (laughs) for things just to feel supported. Like it it means something. (laughs) That's so interesting. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. (laughs) So where do we go? We create, we focus on culture and then we go into, you had talked about conflict, which Mm. I love. Like, so getting into conflict, because I think, again, that's one of the things, or, you know, at Crosscom, we teach leadership development. And I think when we're talking about managing conflict, it's not just having the process. It's also addressing the culture of your team. Mm -hmm. So where do you go when you're thinking about, we're setting our team up for success. We've got our purpose. We're being mindful of culture. Then where are we going as it relates to conflict? Yeah. So, you know, conflict is to me, um, it's kind of that it's, it's the, it's the final loop around culture, right? Huh. Because the, the, for me, conflict is where the rubber hits the road, right? And you're actually being uh, able to kind of work out the kinks in the system and you're, you're all, you're all bettering or creating or manifesting something more important. That's, that's when a team starts actually coming together and becoming more than the sum of their parts. Right. And so for me, the problem with conflict for a lot of people is that we don't like tension. <laughs> I think, you know, I was just, I, uh, I was actually writing a post about this. Um, Martin Luther King, in his letter from Birmingham jail said, I am not afraid of the word tension. Right. And he was saying that because he was defending his need to agitate. And, and I think back then a lot of people were like, you know, why don't you just uh, negotiate rather than lead marches and sit-ins? And because he's like, listen, you don't get it. If you don't have tension, you're not going to address the real problem. And that's true for societal issues as well as our professional and team issues. If we don't have healthy conflict, we're not going to address the root emotional problem. 
And once you address it, only then do you understand the scale of the problem. Do you understand the subtleties? Do you understand the urgency, right? And so it's very important that there's some level of healthy conflict, like this tension in the in the team to help best the, get the best ideas out there, to vet the ideas. To, um, you know, research has shown that the more cognitive diversity that you have, you're going to have more conflict. But that's a good thing because the best ideas come from great debates, right? Um, ideas that are made in isolation by like this really like visionary leader, um, they don't really work that well. I mean, we might have stories about the single founder or one person being this amazing genius, this brilliant jerk. But the truth is ideas that are created in a team that's really highly vetted and debated and reasoned and rationalized, those are the ones that ultimately have the most success. So, so that's why conflict is so important. It really helps elevate um, the output, the creativity, the originality of the group. And so that's the second part I always think about uh, with a high-performing team. I love that. For those that might be afraid of conflict, maybe it's just looking at it as tension and you need yeah. the right amount of tension. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, there's so many negative, so many people are afraid of it. Uh, yeah. I don't know why I'm less afraid. Probably I should be probably more afraid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think it's part of my personality, but I absolutely know people that it, it is really off-putting or, and don't get me wrong, there are certain circumstances where, of course, it's really uncomfortable, but tension is where growth is. Tension yeah. and that, you know, that's where we're helping each other challenge the status quo. And, but yet it is, I love that you do put it as part to culture because yeah, you can read a book on the appropriate way to resolve a conflict, have a conflict, but if you don't have that as an established norm, it doesn't matter how you apply that. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, so you have to be able to say, and I guess I always go back and it was a podcast interview that I'd done with someone that, <clears throat> was in theater and her name was Hillary Blair. And she talked about how, you know, in many other organizations, um, I would say industries and her background was in theater feedback was a total normal part of it. <laughs> if you wanted to put on a great performance, you had to take it. And oftentimes it was public too, because it, <laughs> Hey, you didn't get your sure. line there, you yeah, didn't yeah, yeah. This. but she said people responded better to it because it was just a common like part of being in theater. It wasn't this scary thing. No, we needed it to put on a good performance, but yet here we go. And we have to recognize that we have to establish that commonplace that prior to people, mm -mm, there's not been an appropriate, like, yay, conflict. No, we yeah, have yeah, yeah. zero <laughs> conflict. And so it is recognizing we need it. Now, yeah. there are ways that you can say it. Don't get me wrong. But yes. like, we need a conflict. That's 100% right. Yeah. And it's, it's like, it's the way you say it, it it's, it's balancing honesty with respect, right? Um, it's, it's, it's balancing uh, vulnerability um, with kindness, right? And, and that's the key here. It's, so it's not just you just having a fight for the sake of having a fight. You're having, you're having those challenges so that you can get the best out of people. And so that's the thing. You're right. It has to be balanced. You can't just come in guns blazing um, and just expect people to just accept it. <laughs> to fall in line. Well, yeah. I mean, there may be some people that do that, but think about how many voices you miss in that conversation yeah. that might actually know. And they're not doing it to be, I would say, cynical or negative. They might just say like, ooh, I have awareness to this and this could be a big challenge, but I don't feel comfortable bringing it up. That's so right. Going to. That's exactly <laughs> right. So many people are yeah, exactly right. <laughs> There's a lot of silent voices out there for sure. 
Yeah. Where do you go from like the cultural standpoint? Mm-hmm. Like, is, where do you go from there? Yeah. So, so once we have the purpose and we have a great sense of kind of the culture we're establishing, then the third part is execution, right? And it's about uh, acting on the focus we talked about before, right? And so for me, this is where a lot of teams sometimes drop the ball. Um, is they're actually, when the rubber hits the road, they're not able to actually execute on what their plans are. And some of these teams have amazing, strategic, uh, very multi-hyphenate plans, but somehow they don't really know how to actually do it when it comes down to it. And and part of that, uh, to me, is, again, using a focusing framework. Um, so I call it this this one framework, you know, people people know about the OKRs, objectives and key results. It's like a famous framework that come out of Andy Grove of Intel. And people use that in front of their strategic uh, plans and all those things. I, I think there's something a little bit more deeper and a little bit more cohesive that's needed. And I call it uh, a one minimum easy. It's just my way of trying to help my clients remember it. It's called one minimum easy. And so the one is basically the first question. It says, Uh, What is the one thing I can do that will add the most value if I do this and make everything else easier slash unnecessary? And that first focusing question is very important because as leaders or entrepreneurs or people in charge of big businesses, we have so many priorities, like you were saying, right? Like there's so many things to do when the day starts. And if you're not able to quickly silence out the noise and focus on the signal, you're going to be ineffective. You're going to be doing a little bit of everything else. So part of what a team and a leader and a company needs to do is be really good at quickly identifying every day, every week, every quarter, the one thing that will add the most value and focus on that one thing above everything else. Now, of course, we have multiple priorities. Of course, there's other things to do. But by orienting our focus on that one thing and then we go into the second question. We then say, okay, now that we know what's the one most important thing, the next thing is what is the um, minimum amount of work that we need to do to ensure its success? And so that's the minimum part of it. And so for me, this is where another part that teams sometimes drop the ball is that you need to figure out what does success look like for this one thing, right? And so maybe if it's like uh, you're trying to um, have a successful sales quarter, that's the one thing, then what does success look like? Well, it's actually having a million dollars in sales this year and having 100 clients. Okay, good. That's the thing. Now, what is the minimum amount of work I need to get those 100 clients to get that million dollars? Then you say, oh, I need to reach out to at least a thousand, and I'm making this up, a thousand people in my newsletter list. That's the minimum. If I do that, I can guarantee I'll get this much, right? And what this does, Jen, the reason I think this is important is that a lot of times when we're working, we're not consistent. New things come up new because sometimes we feel like, oh my God, I don't know if this is working. I don't know if I have other things to do. But if you trust your own process, then good things come out of it. You know that, look, I don't know what's going to happen. There are a lot of things that balls in the air. But if I just keep doing this every day until I get to this thousand um, people in my newsletter or whatever that goal is, then I know I'm guaranteed that outcome. Now, of course, you're not always going to guarantee an outcome, but it allays your fears. You don't feel, you're not like, oh my God, am I ever going to hit it? Am I doing too little? Am I doing too too much? What is it? This is just a good way to help you create kind of this like weekly, daily um, goals based on the minimum amount of work needed to establish success. And then the last part is easy, one minimum easy, right? So what's the easiest 
uh, and the quickest way to do it. <laughs> so that's the last part. I think sometimes people overcomplicate and make things very difficult and much more uh, work than it has to be. No, you figured it out. What is the success you need to do? What's the minimum work you need to do? What's of the most important thing you need to do? Okay, now what's the easiest way to do it? And so once you're able to kind of internalize this process, you find you're just much better at uh, executing. You can attack and handle anything um, uh, that the team has to deal with or you as a leader have to deal with. So that's that's my one uh, tip on how to kind of work through your execution is do the one minimum easy. I think that's a really great tip on how to approach it. And I think it's an accessible way to look at it because people do drop the ball with execution. I think there's so many, we all likely can think of our own organizations and experiences where there's a big idea and they made it the focus for three months, six months, but they never measured it. They didn't think about what they needed to do. They didn't have check-in points to adapt. They didn't definitely weren't thinking about what's the minimum I can do. And what's <laughs> but I think having those frameworks gives people permission to think it through. And yeah. maybe that's the thing is that the objective might feel too broad. So then it is probably harder to execute, but I love right. your framework because it, it does break it down into, you know, we can focus on this now and then, yeah. you know, action, quiets anxiety. That's where you can build your traction. That's right. Like, That's right. And you can keep going slow, smaller, smaller. It's like, you know, once you figure out like, okay, this, this year we're focusing on sales. Okay. Well then what does success look like for the sales? Okay. Well then I have to hire somebody. Okay. Then what does that look like? Well, then I have to interview five people, right? You keep cascading it. And that's how you're able to quieten down your mind from, I have so many things to do. I have to do this. I have to do that. No, 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 no. Just focus on the one thing and focus on ultimate kind of action point, like you were saying. I love that. Any other final feedback that you would want to share as it relates to how a leader can set up their team for success? Yeah. So, you know, the one last thing I'll say is... Um, you, you want to also, uh, as a leader, not only are we trying to motivate them and inspire them with a big purpose, you also want to create these fun challenges. I think a lot of times leaders just are like, okay, and we're going to launch this product or we're going to have a successful quarter. Try to make it fun. <laughs> I know this sounds a little bit like floozy, but like you want to imbue again the work that your team is doing as like a challenge, right? And I call it kind of like a, a Goldilocks performance challenge. It has to be a, a tough enough goal that it really requires everyone to work together and work a little hard. But at the same time, it shouldn't be too e um, it shouldn't be too easy either, right? And so it has to be a right balance of hard and easy, and it has to be achievable and something very concrete. And, and it also has to be urgent too. That's the last part I always say. Make it a little bit of like, hey, we have to get this done in the next two weeks and this will be something we can do together as a team. And by creating, because it's perspective. As a leader, you're creating the story for your team, for the work they're doing. They won't do it anyways. But by making it as this fun challenge, you're helping them feel excited to be together. They feel like they're on a journey. And I think that's the last part a lot of leaders sometimes lose. You need to motivate your team by creating this narrative of the work they're doing. Imbue it with fun, with purpose, and with a challenge and make it fun and exciting. And that's the last part of getting them to work together as a high-performing team. I make it fun. Yeah, yeah, you said it earlier. We we spend a third of our lives at work. It's a long time. And <laughs> it can be fun. We can enjoy it. We can connect right. with our team. And I like talking about it from a challenge perspective because that's where your team bonding is. What can we do that's together? Right. And add in fun incentives. Nikhil, it's been a great conversation. Where do people get in touch with you? How can they connect with you? 
Yeah, for sure. So obviously you can go to my website, wearehuman.co, W-E-R-H-U-M-A-N.co, um, and sign up for my newsletter. I, I write a lot about these kind of topics of leadership and teams, and I try to find fun stories uh, from history and pop culture uh, and share them and use the uh, kind of the window of teams and high performance theories. But then I also post on LinkedIn a lot too. So you can connect with me on LinkedIn or follow me on LinkedIn, Nikhil uh, Paul. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from you and hear some of the stories and insights that work for all of you as well. Thank you so much for sharing your time, your expertise, your passion. <laughs> and to everyone listening, cheers to a great 22 or 2022. 2022, there you go. <laughs> I might as well fumble my starting and ending. You know, why not? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it was a great conversation. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, Jen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation with Nikhil and you want to connect with him, head on over to We Are that's the letter R, wearehuman.co. And there you can sign up for the newsletter. And Nikhil also wants you to reach out to him on LinkedIn, grow your network, connect with Nikhil, and see or ask how he can assist in your leadership needs. And of course, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it with a friend, help a fellow leader, figure out how they can create the best team in 2022. 